0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On
1: this episode pulse processing in this country is expanding again. Eatwell Investment Group, which owns Bell Pulses, plans to upgrade and expand its production facilities to meet recent demand increases caused by the global food supply chain crisis. Eatwell Chief Investment Officer Mark Cole says Bell produced approximately 90,000 metric tons of protein in 2021 and will be adding up to an additional 15,000 metric tons per year of annual production. Cole will talk about the company's expansion plans and its goal to help support the global food industry. The recent drought had many thinking of ways to help livestock through these tough times. Two University Saskatchewan research projects are underway to help deal with some of those stresses. Dr. Greg Penner will discuss projects that will look at developing drought and salinity-tolerant forage crops and reducing heat stress in dairy cattle. After the break, Mark
0: Coles. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: A Saskatchewan Pulse Processor has announced a significant expansion, Bell Pulse's is adding more shifts to increase production capacity. Bell Pulse's is owned by Eat well Investment Group, and with me is Chief Investment Officer Mark Coles. So Mark, uh, first of all, you've decided,
2: I understand, on a 10% increase in production? We have two locations currently, one in Duck Lake, and the other one in Bellevue. So we're primarily looking at an expansion of production in the Duck Lake facility, although we're also looking at potentially opening another facility, so have a third facility in Saskatchewan.
1: Now, I believe that current production in Canada is roughly 100,000 tonnes per year, and you're hoping to add an additional 15,000 tonnes per year?
2: Yes, exactly. If not more. And then we also have a third facility in Montana. So between the three facilities, we'll be expanding the total throughput of, it's the goal to expand the total throughput of Bell Pulse. So uh,
1: when we talk about pulse crops, maybe you could explain what particular pulse crops uh, that you handle.
2: We do uh, yellow pea, we do uh, uh, chickpeas, we do fava beans, so uh, primarily yellow peas. We also do green pea as well. Bell Pulse has and been in, uh, in the Saskatchewan for well over four decades. So I think we're in our 43rd year or something like that. So it was uh, originally uh, founded by Tony and Francis Gadette And so it's been there a long time and with a great reputation of producing top quality products.
1: It's always a leap of faith when you announce an expansion like this. Uh, maybe just explain why you decided to expand the plant's capacity.
2: Well, the geopolitical issues that you see out there today are such that groups are looking for more supply of product from a almost a guaranteed source. So it becomes a food security issue, really. Well, you know, if you're going to contract to buy proteins, you could contract them with Bell Pulse and be assured because of the geopolitical issues that uh, you'll get a supply of your proteins over a long period of time. Because there's a tremendous, I don't know the exact percentage, but probably 20 to 30% of pulses come from Russia and the Ukraine. And so obviously that supply chain is going to be somewhat disrupted over the next couple of years, definitely for this growing season. So the logical alternative is to look at a safe, secure source for your pulse proteins. Saskatchewan fills that bill.
1: Now you hinted at a third location. Would that be in Saskatchewan? And can you give us any indication where that would be located in the size of plant that that would be?
2: It, we're just modeling it now, but it'll be probably closer to a, a large urban center for access to a workforce. But, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at potentially a, a different line, but still focused around pulses.
1: Any cost projections for the project?
2: No, that's too early for that. But we're looking at it very closely.
1: So there have been many announcements with regards to processing, particularly in Saskatchewan, in the last year or two years. This uh, is another project that's really exciting for the province's farmers and also uh, for the provincial economy as well.
2: It's fantastic working in Saskatchewan. The people are so nice. They have great crops, and with the you know the global insecurities that are out there now, Saskatchewan is a logical place for people to. Uh, contract out supply of proteins and supply of pulses.
1: Mark Coles is the Chief Investment Officer for Eat Well Investment Group that owns Bell Pulses. After the break, Dr. Greg Penner on research projects dealing specifically on livestock affected by drought
2: stress.
0: digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: The drought induced hay shortage forced many beef producers to find new feed sources. Uh, with that drought came a lot of stress to livestock and of course to livestock producers as well. I'm speaking with Dr. Greg Penner with the University of Saskatchewan. He is the Centennial Enhancement Chair in Ruminant Nutritional Physiology and Greg, the drought has been on the minds of uh, every producers and, and researchers as well?
0: I, I think the big one we saw was this canola regrowth. And there were previous suggestions on how much canola should be or whole plant canola should be fed. And I think in some cases, uh, those boundaries were pushed a little bit with very good success. Uh, so that would probably be the number one uh, feed that we would not normally consider for beef cattle, but was used quite quite extensively throughout the province. So we observed a lot of cattle that were out grazing canola regrowth as well as grazing stubble. And I think this is a real opportunity for Saskatchewan where integration of crop residues, the residues after harvesting a crop can be a suitable feed source for cattle. We saw a lot of non-traditional feeds come in as feed sources and we saw new players in the feed industry. So there's pelleting plants that increase production of feed that they would not normally do because of the conditions imposed. I don't work directly with a lot of producers, but we work pretty directly with a lot of nutrition-related groups, whether that be private firms like Beef Smart or feed mill firms like Co-op Feeds or Master Feeds or New Life Mills or ProVita, and we're really hearing the same thing from all those nutritionists where producers have had to be very flexible and creative in terms of what they use to meet the feed supply for those cattle.
1: So obviously there's going to be a lot of new information to process.
0: I think in this case, this is one area where the people on the ground, the nutritionists probably learn faster than the researchers. We're learning from them as they're implementing practices on operations. You know, in some cases, we're working together to try to figure out how we might be best able to support them moving into the future. Research is really a long game. It takes us time to acquire money to conduct the work that we need to do, and and we hope that the work we're doing in some cases, has immediate benefit, but also in some cases has a longer-term outcome. And, and so this is really where our communication is leading now, is looking at, okay, should this situation arise again, what can we do to help increase options for producers and decrease the financial stress and the other stresses they face as they're trying to find suitable feed for livestock?
1: So, Greg, your team is uh, also working on a project examining water quality. Tell us about that.
0: Our focus has been on sulfate concentrations, and sulfate is one of the major contaminants in water uh, within Saskatchewan, both surface water but also groundwater. And the interesting part, at least from an academic perspective, it's really a problem from a livestock perspective, is that high water sulfate can lead to... um, complexing with trace minerals so it can actually lead to trace mineral deficiencies even when cattle are supplemented with trace minerals adequately. And if it's really high, it can actually lead to a neurological disorder called polio. So we've been looking at reassessing how much sulfur cattle can actually tolerate before we start seeing these negative outcomes. Our focus has been on trace minerals. We don't want to induce disease and to look at other ways that we can mitigate these high water sulfate concentrations. So we've run a series of studies over the past two to three years, and we're in the tail end of the final study. Really, we've shown quite clearly that even when provided adequate trace minerals, high sulfur concentrations in the water will still deplete trace mineral status And so this last study we're looking at is looking or is investigating different trace mineral supplementation strategies. So different forms of mineral, whether they're injectable or whether they're presented in the diet in a more available state to help increase ability of those cattle to maintain their trace mineral status. So the last study will be finished towards the end of August. And I think at that point, we'll have some really nice results to highlight what producers can do if they're faced with high sulfate water.
1: So the very dry conditions over the past couple of years have meant cow-calf producers are certainly paying more attention to water quality. What are some strategies for livestock producers when it comes to water?
0: The Ministry of Agriculture in Saskatchewan has been providing free water testing so producers can collect the water sample, submit it to local ministry offices, and the ministry will facilitate that water testing and provide recommendations on its suitability for use in livestock. So the first thing is knowing whether there is a problem. If there is a problem, there's different solutions that can be put into place. Again, this is based on how much sulfate is actually in the water. But if it's less than a 1,000 parts per million, there's really nothing producers need to do. It's suitable water. When it's between 1,000 and 2,000 parts per million, it's kind of a use with caution scenario where it might be suitable for cattle, but risk of mineral depletion is real. And so then we start working more closely with producers to try to ensure that the mineral supplementation programs are going to at least minimize the depletion in water sulfate. Problem is a lot of those Programs that are being implemented are not proven to be efficient with high water sulfate. So this work will demonstrate whether it is or is not efficient. And then there's another product, which right now is not fully registered in Canada, but we can get access to it through the veterinary drug directorate. So with producers working through their veterinarian, And that's an injectable trace mineral. So it would be kind of a systemic supply of some trace minerals, which may again help. But there's really no data supporting whether that will alleviate problems with high sulfur, at least in the water. So this is really what we're doing so that producers know which practices are going to be more effective and then obviously from that we can work out the cost benefit difference as they try to implement practices that are feasible for their operation.
1: Dr. Greg Penner is the University of Saskatchewan Centennial Chair in Ruminant Nutritional Physiology. It's time for the Agriculture News and Review for the week of April 25th, 2022. Producers should be on alert, not alarmed about avian influenza. Chicken Farmers of Canada's Lisa Bishop Spencer made the comment after the confirmation of avian flu in a commercial poultry flock in Manitoba. She said all poultry and egg producers should increase biosecurity around all of their properties. And she added they are not seeing a lot of lateral spread from farm to farm, which is good news and reminds people to keep an eye on wild birds in the area. A Statistics Canada report said Canadian farmers are expected to plant more wheat, corn, lentil, soybeans and oats this season. But area seeded to canola, barley and dry peas is anticipated to decrease compared with last year. In Saskatchewan, producers anticipated seeding 8% less canola, But 10.6% more wheat compared with 2021. In Alberta, farmers expect total wheat area to increase 6.3%, while Manitoba producers anticipate planting 5.7% more wheat. The World Bank said commodity prices that reached historically elevated levels because of the war in Ukraine will remain high through the end of 2024. The agency's Commodity Markets Outlook report said energy prices, food and fertilizer sustained the largest commodity shock since the 1970s. Energy prices, which over the past two years have sustained the biggest increases since the 1973 oil crisis, are expected to rise more than 50% in 2022 before easing in 2023 and 2024. Non-energy prices, including agriculture and metals, projected to increase almost 20% in 2022, will also moderate in the following years. Commodity prices are expected to remain well above the most recent five-year average. The World Bank added a prolonged war or additional sanctions on Russia could boost prices even higher and make them more volatile than currently projected. Farmers in eastern Canada calling on the federal government to take immediate action to eliminate the burden on farmers caused by fertilizer tariffs. Quebec Grain Farmers and Grain Farmers of Ontario said failure to act to alleviate the tariff burdens on farmers would impact grain availability and potentially impact food prices. Grain Farmers of Ontario Chair Brendan Byrne said the invasion of Ukraine continues to escalate and its impacts on the global food system are increasing. Eastern Canadian grain farmers also called on the fertilizer industry to act with integrity, with fair and transparent prices. The International Grains Council expects global wheat consumption for the 2022-23 crop year to increase by 7 million metric tonnes to 785 million metric tonnes. The number puts total wheat consumption 5 million tonnes higher but the number puts trader on watch for production problems throughout the production cycle. Marlena Borsch with Mercantile Consulting Venture says old crop wheat is sold out and new crop is 50% sold at $13 a bushel or better. The AgriStability enrollment deadline for the 2022 program year was extended without penalty to June 30th to help producers manage the impact of challenges facing their farm operations and provide them more time to take advantage of some of the support available under the program. Some of those issues include the impact of avian influenza, current market disruptions, increased expenses and production challenges. The extension was agreed to by federal, provincial and territorial governments. There will be changes to grain delivery declarations for Canadian farmers in the 2022-23 crop year starting August 1st. The declaration form confirms that the variety delivered, bought and sold is eligible for the kind of grain in class. The Grain Commission's Doug Chorney said by requiring information on variety registration at the time of delivery declarations can help to preserve the integrity of the country's grain quality. Certain grains will no longer need to be declared under the regulation. The Commission is making the change after consultations with stakeholders.